LeBron out on the right. Going to turn, he's going to fade, and he's going to hit it for the win. The king of Cleveland returns. LeBron James winning the 71st NBA All-Star game. I could not have dreamed of that moment any better than the actuality that just happened. 35 minutes south of where I grew up here in Akron, Ohio, to get a game winner in an All-Star game where me, I couldn't picture that moment any better. ESPN Radio. For the first three quarters of the All-Star game, Steph Curry stole the show, and then on the last play of the All-Star game, LeBron James took it back in his hometown. It's Courtney Cronin and Chris Canning on ESPN Radio and ESPN+. Plus. We're presented by Progressive Insurance, and we're still basking in the glow that is NBA All-Star Weekend. And, Courtney, this was going to be celebrated as somewhat of a homecoming for LeBron James, and there was no shortage of fodder with the NBA honoring their 75th anniversary team, the top 75 players to have ever laced them up in the association, but then also LeBron James in the theatrics at the end of the game hitting that fadeaway over Zach Levine to get his team the target score of 163 and to get him his fifth consecutive all-star all-star game win with his respective team in this current format. So a lot of things going LeBron James's way, but then we also had some sound bites where LeBron James was sending some shade to some other people out in Los Angeles. And this is LeBron James talking about Oklahoma City Thunder executive Sam Presti in glowing fashion. He says, and I quote, the MVP over there is Sam Presti. He's the MVP. I mean, Josh Giddy is a great player, but Sam Presti, I don't understand this guy's eye for talent. He drafted Kevin Durant, Russ, meaning Russell Westbrook, Jeff Green, Serge Ibaka, Reggie Jackson, again, Josh Giddy. the list goes on and on. This guy is pretty damn good. And this, of course, is on the heels of, of what he had to say on social media on his Twitter account regarding the Rams general manager's Les Snead and the T-shirt that he won during their Super Bowl championship parade that said F them picks, meaning the draft picks that Les Snead forked over to bring over Pro Bowl caliber players, the latest of which was Matt Stafford, the piece that put them over the top. So all of us, all of this led to everyone speculating was this LeBron James in a roundabout way throwing shade toward his general manager, Rob Palenka, for not doing more at the NBA trade deadline for not packaging Russell Westbrook and that 2027 first-round pick in order to get Houston's John Wall or some other player around the NBA that could be a part of trying to get this thing going in the right direction in the last third of the season. So I got to open this up to you. Is this LeBron James throwing shade, or is he just giving Sam Presti his flowers? No, I think that there's a lot of shade in those comments. <laughs> and he, he may think all those things about Sam Presti and just like wanting to like like heap on the praise of wow, what a great talent evaluator. But let's not forget like the Lakers front office didn't exactly do what LeBron wanted them to do at the trade deadline. He wanted them to be more active, to be able to get him some help around him. He was talking about it privately. He was talking about it publicly. And then when the deadline passes, Lakers general manager Rob Palenka apparently stepped over the line when he announced that James was on board with remaining as is. Apparently, that's not the case. So, of course, LeBron's going to take the passive-aggressive route on social media with everything that he's done, like kind of in the in the week leading up to it with like, quote, tweeting the, the 
the tweet of the shirt um, that uh, Les Snead was wearing. But he went full-on aggressive in Cleveland at the All-Star Weekend um, in talking about kind of like where his mindset is at here. And I don't think that, yeah, it was like a passive-aggressive comment to not like address Palinka directly and say something, say what he said about um, Sam Presti, but read between the lines here. The Lakers might have a weird situation um, with LeBron James this coming summer. Think about what he said in that uh, article to Jason Lloyd, who he's been knowing for a long time in Cleveland, about potentially returning to Cleveland. He said, quote, the door's not closed on Mm. a potential return, and that his last season in the league, we know he's 37 right now, but his last season will, quote, will be played with my son. And he said that in the interview that took place before the All-Star game on Sunday. So I think a lot of this has to do with putting the Lakers on notice about, you know, what's going to be happening here in the next season and the next two seasons, how like unhappy he is with the state of affairs around him because Anthony Davis is out for a couple weeks with the ankle injury. They just have not been able to get that core right for LeBron, who's still having to drop like 30 or 35 points a game in order for this team to stay competitive and doing it all himself. And then on top of that, I think the thing that we need to like read through like here a little bit more clearly, Chris, when he's talking about playing with Bronny at some point, What is that going to do to teams that are going to be trying to draft him and where he goes in the draft order because they want to get LeBron on the final run of his career? Like, how is that going to change the draft order? How is that going to affect teams potentially mortgaging their future just to be able to get the last part of LeBron, assuming he's still playing at this level? There's a whole lot that came out of All-Star Weekend that wasn't just LeBron walking off after hitting that fadeaway shot over Zach Levine. There's a lot of discourse here that we're going to be talking about for the next, you know, seven, eight weeks until the playoffs start. Yeah, there's a lot that came out of All-Star Weekend and none of it positive for the L.A. Lakers, and that's probably got to be the part that Jeannie Buss and that front office take to heart in terms of their concern about what their short-term and long-term future looks like with LeBron James being a big part of that. And what's happening next is brought to you by Body Armor Light, Sports Drink, and what right now we've got to get to our very own Stephen A. Smith's comments on the tension between Clutch Sports, and Rob Palenka, the Lakers general manager. Rich Paul called me yesterday and asked me to quote him on this story about him and Clutch Sports and essentially them wanting the Lakers to trade Russell Westbrook and a first-round pick to Houston for John Wall. He wanted me to state emphatically that there was absolutely positively no truth to that whatsoever. He never did that. He did not do that. The people who wrote the story never contacted him to get any kind of perspective from him on that. It is an absolute lie. And he said, could you please do me a favor and quote me and tell the world that I specifically said that's a damn lie. Chris Candy and Courtney Cronin on ESPN Radio and ESPN Plus. Jumpstart the new year with Body Armor Light, the low-calorie sports drink hydrating your active lifestyle. Shop now at retailers nationwide. And Courtney... I don't think it took a rocket scientist to to read between the tea leaves and understand that LeBron James was upset that the Lakers stood pat at the trade deadline. I go back to that loss that they suffered to the Portland Trailblazers on the road, Portland without Damian Lillard, no C.J. McCollum, and yet and still the Lakers found a way to lose that game, and they've got LeBron James and Anthony Davis, and they started out that game with an 11-0 run. And the fact that they fell short in that matchup and then LeBron James in the post-game press conference said, you know, I want to get a glass of wine and get in the bed and hope that tomorrow's a better day. 
that better day was coming with the expectations that Rob Palenka would be aggressive when it came to being able to move some pieces around in order to take advantage of having LeBron James in the twilight of his career. And the fact that that didn't happen, I think, is going to lead to more discourse out in L.A. when it comes to what the Lakers are going to do with LeBron and what they're going to do with the rest of the team. Anthony Davis has not lived up to the expectations that they had. The guy can't stay healthy. Charles Barkley even calls him street clothes because he's in street clothes more than he's in uniform. And then Russell Westbrook has lost all confidence, and he feels like a player that you can only resign to a bench role just because he hasn't shown to be effective when he's in the lineup off the ball with LeBron James. So there are a lot of issues that this Lakers team as constituted is facing, and I think that's going to put the Los Angeles Lakers front office in a tough spot when it comes to making the decisions that are in the best long-term future of the franchise. And that's not limited to moving on from Anthony Davis, moving on from Russell Westbrook, or moving on from LeBron James. And as a Lakers fan, I can't believe that the franchise has fallen that far so fast from a championship-caliber squad from three years ago. It's crazy because this is what he had been preaching last year, right? When they're like, the, you know, the eighth seed and then they get themselves into the postseason and you're dealing with the AD injury and LeBron's having to do everything in his power to carry this team. So they make some moves this season, during the offseason, and it's still not enough. So I have to wonder, like, if we're going to be passing blame around here to Rob Palenka, to the, to Jeannie Buss, to the front office for not making things happen to LeBron's liking, does he not deserve a little little bit of criticism there, Chris? I mean, he's the one who oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, the the Russell Westbrook. He want he wanted him in L.A. Like, just because that might not be working out doesn't mean that he gets to completely, like, wash his hands and absolve himself of that. No, Courtney, he absolutely deserves some blame. And on this show, we're going to give it to him. Like, LeBron James, for all of the great things that he does, not necessarily the best general manager. So when it comes to him moving the chess pieces around the board through his agency, Clutch Ports, and Rich Paul, we absolutely have to lay some of the blame for what this Lakers team is at his feet this season. And from that perspective, it's hard for me to fault Rob Palenka for not wanting to part ways with that 2027 first-round draft pick when the mistake of bringing Russell Westbrook onto this team was in part LeBron's doing. But I digress. Uh, Juan in Ohio, Mike in Atlanta, we're going to get to your calls on the Caddy Hotline. But coming up next, with the franchise tag designation period starting tomorrow, we'll give you our list of the top franchise tag candidates around the National Football League. You're listening to Courtney Cronin, Chris Canny on ESPN Radio and ESPN+. Plus. You're listening to ESPN Radio, Sirius XM Channel 80, also streaming on ESPN+. Plus. It's Chris Canty, and I'm rocking with Courtney Cronin. It's CC and CC, and we're presented by Progressive Insurance. Get at us on the Twitter, at ChrisCanty99 and at Courtney R. Cronin. Also want to encourage you to tap in on the Candy call-in line, 888-SAY-ESPN. That's 888-729-3776. And, Courtney, we got to go out to the call-in line and bring on Juan in Ohio, who's been patiently waiting to get at us. Juan, you are on ESPN Radio. What you got for us? Hey, I, I was just saying that uh, I don't think LeBron should return to Cleveland because they have a nice, they have a nice young core. And with Kevin Love there and the coach, he, I feel like they just they're there to have fun. And I don't, and I don't think that LeBron would be the best fit. It would be nostalgic for him to do his final tour there, but. I don't think that that would be the best fit because he would just we would just have to go back into a rebuild right after that. So it's just it'll be a waste of time in our sense. 
Juan, are you a Cavs fan, just out of curiosity? Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. So, yeah, LeBron James, in his wake, it hasn't left the Cleveland Cavaliers in the best of shapes. You're talking about both times he dipped, Cleveland going into a massive rebuild. And so, coming out of it, you've had some pretty good people in David Griffin and Kobe Altman be the architects for those those teams being able to make a resurgence and ultimately, once, once upon a time, being able to lure LeBron James back from the Miami Heat but then also now with where the Cleveland Cavaliers are at right now with J.B. Bickerstaff, it's incredible what they're doing because nobody expected them to be a top half of the Eastern Conference type of team. Nobody outside of Ohio anyway. And the fact that they have made these types of strides, Courtney, yeah. is really, really impressive. One of the biggest surprises of the NBA season. Oh, for sure. And I think that J.B. Bickerstaff is you know, in, in line right now for coach of the year, just given the turnaround that he's been able to orchestrate there in Cleveland. And you know what? Like, I, I, can, I can agree with Juan to the sense of like this rebirth that they're going through in Cleveland. It's the first time in a really long time that they've been doing it without like – without LeBron James and then not in the shadow of LeBron James, the way it was from like 2017 all the way up until this season once he left. So uh, it's like you want – it's too much – it would be too much of a good thing, right? Because LeBron Mm. would come and then you'd end up having to inevitably be part of a rebuild. Because you're not just having him come in and then just, like, you know, keeping your team as is. Like, you would have to change a lot of things on the roster, and it's like they have a good thing going. Like, of course, they all know that that's the house that LeBron James built, and there will always be that respect. But I can understand it from Juan's perspective of they just finally got something going. Now it's like, oh, do you really want to go dip your hand back in that pot right away when you don't know? Like, your your future is so, so, so bright as is that – it would just be like such a short-term burst and not a long-term game type move. Courtney, I think the money quote that you had is too much of a good thing when you talk about reintroducing LeBron James to this current rendition of the Cleveland Cavaliers. But let me tell you what's not too much of a good thing. The, the speculation that we get from the NFL offseason because tomorrow NFL teams will be making moves with the franchise tag window opening up. And Making Moves is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. Build your winning team today. Go to linkedin.com slash sports. And so, of course, Courtney, it's never too early to speculate about the futures of NFL teams and what they're going to do with their key guys, especially guys that would be considered for the franchise tag. And chief among them has to be Devontae Adams, not not just because Devontae Adams is one of the best wide receivers in the National Football League, but because Devontae Adams mm-hmm. is the number one target for one Aaron Rodgers. And this is an organization that has shown that they are willing to pull out all the stops this offseason and go all in on Aaron Rodgers, even in going so far as to hire his former quarterbacks coach, Tom Clements, in order to bring him back out of retirement to come be a part of that quarterback's room, to be a part of that coaching staff so that Aaron Rodgers can feel comfortable in the direction that the franchise is going. And so – Your thoughts on what the Green Bay Packers should do in the way of Devontae Adams' future contractually. Is this a guy that you franchise tag and you have him under the tag? Or do you actually try to work out a long-term deal with Devontae? you got to figure out what Rodgers is doing first. Otherwise... Otherwise, you're looking at a tag and trade situation because Devontae Adams is not going to want to play on the $19.3 million 
estimated tag that it is for wide receivers this year. He can probably make more than that. And yeah, it is all fully guaranteed. Like he'll he'll be fine in the long run. But like a lot of players don't like that because of like the kind of the optics that surround the franchise tag. And even Aaron Rodgers the other day or like about a month ago was talking about that he wanted to be quote respectful of the organization. One decision that will be upcoming will obviously be Devontae and his future with the team. There is still this thing called a franchise tag, which I don't think 17, meaning Devontae Adams, wants the franchise. And that obviously has so much to do with Aaron Rodgers' situation, but when you take a look at Devontae Adams himself, he's the single most productive wide receiver in the league during this two-year stretch. He's 29 years old. He's going to want to cash in on that long-term deal before teams view him as being on that, you know, the the other side of 30. It's like the, the kiss of death that you get as an NFL player. So any long-term contract, that's likely going to come in at like 25 million annually. Like that's probably what he's looking at, but um, there's no way to think that he's going to hit the open market. None whatsoever. But I do think that they would potentially be in a situation, a tag and trade situation um, because he, 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 he'd be a player who would want to hold out for a new deal or request, you know, going somewhere else. Well, the other thing that we also have to consider too, is that if you franchise a player, that entire salary is on the books on your salary cap. And the Green Bay Packers are in salary cap hell right now. I I mean, they're talking about bottom three teams in terms of cap space. And so that would force them to make some other really difficult decisions. And I'm pretty sure some of those choices wouldn't be uh, choices that Aaron Rodgers could be on board with. So I think that's also a factor that you'd have to consider. With Devontae Adams, either a long-term deal gets hammered out or you're probably talking about Devontae Adams being on the way out of the door and Aaron Rodgers not being far behind. So we'll continue the conversation. If you want to chime in, the number is 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. Hit us up on the candy call-in line about the future of Devontae Adams with the Green Bay Packers and if they're in any any real danger of losing both him and Aaron Rodgers. We want to hear from you guys. It's Courtney Cronin and Chris Canny, ESPN Radio. She is Courtney Cronin. I am Chris Canny, and this is ESPN Radio. We're also streaming on E+. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Drivers who switch and save with Progressive save over $700 on average. Now, Courtney, we mentioned that the NFL's franchise tag window opens up tomorrow. And for more information on that, we got to go out to the hotline and bring on ESPN NFL insider Jeff Darlington. And Jeff, some of the names that are expected to be in the mix when it comes to the potential to be franchise tagged, you know you have J.C. Jackson out there, Jesse Bates, Orlando Brown Jr., and Mike Williams, but everybody's paying attention to Devontae Adams, wide receiver for the Green Bay Packers, because we know that he and Aaron Rodgers are inextricably linked in terms of their futures with that organization. So what will we learn about the Packers' long-term plans with both of them when the window opens to tag players tomorrow? Well, probably not much right away. And and the idea of Devontae Adams getting tagged by the Packers is definitely um, a, a one that we should be watching very closely and, honestly, the likelihood, I would say. Um, the question becomes, if Aaron Rodgers leaves, I could actually see Adams being even more of a candidate for the franchise tag um, because, ultimately, that would be the, the best way for the Packers to keep him. Um, if Aaron Rodgers were to stay, I could see them trying to work something else out to make sure that they can figure out their own cap situation. But um, either way, uh, while a possibility, if not a likelihood, 
I don't anticipate that we would find out uh, in the next 24 hours that Adams would be tagged. Now, if he is inevitably tagged and if Rodgers does go somewhere else, does it not kind of feel like they're headed towards that tag and trade situation? Like, do you envision any way that he would end up staying in Green Bay without Aaron Rodgers being there? I would definitely think it gets messy from there. Um, but, you know, that's that's the Packers also having to make sure that they uh, do their own business. But, you know, look out for their best selves. Uh, I But to your point, tag and trade probably – makes the most sense, but I don't necessarily know that they would tag him with the immediate incentive to tag and trade. I think it would be more of one of those things to feel Adams out, to see if he's going to pull a hold out if he does get tagged uh, and see where it goes from there. But if that were the case, if Rodgers leaves and he gets tagged, I think we're definitely heading for some drama between the Packers and Adams. Well, well, here's the thing, Jeff, and, uh, and we're talking with ESPN NFL insider Jeff Darlington on ESPN Radio. And Jeff, one of the things that we have to also keep in mind is the Packers' salary cap situation because they're in the bottom three in terms of salary right. cap room. You're talking about them being way over the projected cap for 2022, and if you franchise tag a player, then all of that salary is on that team's salary cap for that yep. given season. So it would lead to the Packers making some really tough decisions with key personnel, something that I imagine Aaron Rodgers couldn't feel great about. So I just feel like – the, the the prospects of Devontae Adams staying in Green Bay on the franchise tag is something mm-hmm. that's untenable. It seems like we're headed down the path yeah. of either franchise tag to work out a long-term deal or franchise tag ended up trading this guy. Right, and, and to the previous point, too, about, like, if Aaron leaves, I mean, Aaron Rodgers wants to play with Devontae Adams. Like, I know that to be true. So you'd think that if he were to go somewhere like Denver – Obviously, Rodgers would love to see somehow the Denver Broncos find a way to bring Adams there. But, of course, the Packers in that situation are not going to sit there and say, oh, yeah, let's let Aaron Rodgers load up, take Devontae Adams with him. They're going to make that hard. And that's where I could see, um, you know, the franchise tag come into basically being used as a, as a way to leverage Devontae Adams. If, he, if Aaron Rodgers does indeed stay, though, things become much friendlier. They know they need Adams. Rodgers knows he wants to keep Adams. And then you start to manipulate the cap. Potentially, that's how you get the long-term deal done with him. Another candidate for the franchise tag who is a bigger name that we'll need, be needing to keep an eye on over the next couple weeks is Cincinnati safety Jesse Bates. And free agency looming here. Mm-hmm. He just comes off of a, a really terrific performance for right. him in the Super Bowl where he has that interception. And you think about the way that they rebuilt their secondary in Cincinnati. Right. It almost feels like he's that vital part of um, you know being there. Do you see the franchise tag being used on him? Like, What is their long-term strategy with Bates? Well, um, it makes the most sense for right now, but just like, like we've talked about with Adams and I mean, we know how it goes with these guys with the tag. They're going to try to work toward that July 15th deadline to get a a long-term extension done. Um, And we saw how well, I mean, gosh, he was a key. I don't think they get to the Super Bowl without the defense playing as it did down the stretch. So he's obviously um, a major asset, a major priority. But again, I still think that we're in that window right now with guys getting tagged as more of a negotiating tactic than necessarily um, you know, it's one of, like no matter what happens tomorrow, I still don't think that that necessarily uh, is a, a conclusive measure to what these guys are going to be playing on, whether a long-term deal, a franchise tag, or a holdout come week one of the 2022 season. 
Jeff, some of the news that we got coming out of this weekend was that up to 155 players that were invited to the scouting combine mm-hmm. in March will not participate based on the NFL trying to institute uh, a bubble concept in 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 uh, compliance with some COVID um, some COVID regulations right. that they'd like to implement. Can you tell us more information about where we stand on that and what's the path forward in terms of the two sides being able to work something out? Yeah, so basically we've got a bunch of agents that ultimately collectively represent 150 players. And those those agents are saying our players don't want to enter this bubble format that the NFL has put in place without their trainers. Without, I mean, so each player, when they go to the combine, I don't know if people know this, but they've got a whole team with them of people that are essentially putting them in a position to succeed. This has become big business, uh, cottage industry for the NFL. These guys – these agents pay big dollars to make sure that their guys are prepared enough so they put the best foot forward. So going into this, basically the NFL is saying we want to do a bubble. We don't want to let these too many people inside it. Therefore, you're not allowed to have all the same trainers that you normally would have. The agents are saying, well, that's not going to put our guys in the best situation to succeed. So we're going to – now Adam Schefter sort of clarified this today. It's not necessarily a boycott as much as it is – we're going to tell our guys just not to do the on-field training. And if you've got 150 guys not doing the on-field stuff, but just meeting with teams behind closed doors, first of all, um, it, like the NFL teams might be okay with that because they'll eventually see these guys at their pro days. Mm-hmm. But this is a primetime event now. This is, you know, NFL Network makes a big deal of this, owned by the NFL. They want this to be a featured event. It's a flagship event on their, on their channels. So all of a sudden, if they don't have 150 guys going and showing up on the field, you got no more event. Mm-hmm. So the NFL, in, the way I see it, this was a, a great play by these agents. These players are not part of the union yet. So we've got eight days between now and the start of the combine. To me, we're just at the beginning of these negotiations. I would imagine that fans probably aren't overly interested yet. But next week, if we still have a situation where the NFL has not caved, it's going to get pretty interesting. So next Monday, if they haven't figured it out, that's when things get sticky. Yeah, I'd like to know before next Monday, before I drive myself down to Indianapolis <laughs> and hopefully, uh, hopefully have some players to, to watch and cover and talk to. I mean, that's just selfishly speaking. I mean, the whole yeah. thing, Jeff, the optics of this, where it's like we're throwing testing for COVID out the window during the playoffs because right. we want everybody to be active and, and available to yeah. play. And then it's like, oh, wait, COVID's back. Got to put a players in the bubble. I, like It makes no sense. It's, it's just like – It makes no sense. We knew this was coming from the NFL. They were inevitably going to do something along these lines. And I've got to wonder, is there any risk that the combine might not happen? Like, could we be headed towards that if they, if this is like a I, stalemate? I mean, I don't I, – I, I, I really, truly don't understand it. And, like, I, I don't know if, if this is my ignorance here or what, but I don't understand why the NFL goes from one mindset and philosophy at the Super Bowl when it was as if COVID didn't exist to – literally less than a month later, them acting like we need a bubble for the combine. It's a, I, I don't, I mean, I'm not saying, from, I don't even understand from a health standpoint, let alone from a, just an optics standpoint by the NFL. The only thing I can think is they put that forward. Everybody uh, on the player side freaks out and then they're like, Oh, see, you guys don't want a bubble. It's not on us anymore. And they just shift blame. But I, like, I truly don't understand how we got to this place with like kind of out of nowhere too. It's, it's mm-hmm. pretty weird. It's kind of bizarre. Well, Jeff, as a former player, I can tell you that both past and present guys tell you if 
If it doesn't make dollars with the NFL, then it makes sense. Yeah. If it doesn't make sense, it makes dollars. It's just kind of one of those things, one of those relationships. Jeff, we appreciate a few moments of your time. Thanks for jumping on with us. We'll talk to you again soon, buddy. Thanks, guys. Appreciate y'all. All right. That is ESPN NFL insider Jeff Darlington joining us. And, Courtney, coming up next, we got to get into the Dallas Cowboys and the scandal with executive or former executive Rich Dalrymple and what the NFL said about – a potential investigation moving forward. We'll have that next for you. You're listening to ESPN Radio. Chris Canty, Courtney Cronin back after this. Cronin and Canty on ESPN Radio and ESPN Plus. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Tap in on the Canty call-in line, 888-ESPN. That's 888-729-3776. And we got to talk about a lot of goings-on in the NBA, Courtney, and we're going to do that later on in the show. But right now, we've got to revisit a story that dropped on ESPN.com last week by our very own Don Van Natta, which he outlined a scandal surrounding the Dallas Cowboys and their former executive, Rich Dalrymple, who was in charge of PR and communications, inappropriately entering the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders' locker room and recording them while they were undressing uh, prior to a Cowboys luncheon event that took place in 2015. Now, that sequence of events led to the Dallas Cowboys settling with the cheerleaders to the tune of $2.4 million and Rich Dalrymple stepping down after this past season uh, after three decades of being in that role. And so the NFL came out and issued a statement and said that they don't necessarily see themselves doing an investigation beyond what the Dallas Cowboys did uh, in their internal investigation into the events outlined by the cheerleaders. And I got to say, this definitely doesn't feel right. And in the wake of what happened with the Washington Commanders and with their cheerleaders over the past decade, it feels like the NFL is yet again fumbling the ball when it comes to issues of workplace harassment when it we're, we're, uh, pertaining to female employees. Here's what I don't understand. You remember that Roger Goodell press conference from Super Bowl week where he said the league's going to control a new investigation of sexual of the sexual harassment allegations surrounding the Washington football team. Like Dan Snyder was like, no, nah, we're going to do our own. And then the league's like, eh, no, you're not. Like we're going to take over because it's what makes logical sense. You're not going to have that guy, that owner, um, be able to conduct his own investigation and just like take that for what, you know, face value. That makes no sense. So like why are they going to step in for that? But they're refusing to step in to investigate any of the $2.4 million confidential settlement with four members of the cheerleading squad. And then, um, obviously, the former team executive you had mentioned, head of PR. Like, why are they not stepping in for that? Like, what makes that one so different in, like, giving them the hands-off approach versus – what was happening in Washington. It was Is it because there was a settlement already in place? I mean, there was stuff in Washington, too, that was sealed, that they are doing a part of their investigation to make sure that they go from top to bottom and, and it's not worse than they already think it is. So I just don't really understand, like, why one but not the other? Like, I know I'm not the only one who thinks that because you just look at this thing about the NFL and say, okay, you guys have a lot of, like, skeletons that are coming out of the closet right now, like – why not just pull them all out and do all these investigations at once? Like, I understand it's a black eye on the shield, but my gosh, this is not a good look whatsoever on the heels of the Washington stuff coming out and going to Congress and everything else. Yeah, I mean, it's worse the fact that you won't investigate after there was admittedly some wrongdoing 
on the behalf of Rich Dalrymple and the organization in terms of sweeping this under the rug because based on some of the reports that we got from the attorneys, from the cheerleaders that that made the accusations, they said that this was one of those incidents that they wanted to report to the police department in Arlington because this took place at AT AT&T Stadium and what Rich Dalrymple did was a felony in that municipality. So it just doesn't make sense that their complaints were not, you know, forwarded on to the police department and more investigation took place. This is just one of those things that I don't know that the NFL should be trying to sweep under the rug because, to your point, they already have an issue when it comes to the optics in dealing with sexual harassment, workplace harassment. We know what happened with owner Jerry Richardson down there with the Carolina Panthers. We also know in some of the correspondence between former Raiders coach John Gruden and Bruce Allen and some of the misogynistic views that came out of those uh, came out of those emails. So this this attitude toward women that is degrading is more pervasive around the National Football League than the NFL would even want to admit. And the way that you move on from that image is by actually acknowledging the wrongdoing and doing an investigation and have having substantive penalties or punishments for those that uh, that are guilty of of sexual harassment. I think that's the only way forward if you're the NFL. And let's also keep in mind this, Courtney. This is a league that tries to put itself at the forefront of change when it comes to social issues, when it comes to equality, when it comes to diversity. And so it seems a bit hypocritical that they would then take a back seat when it comes to dealing with those own issues within their respective clubs. I, I just don't understand why. They can't do more when clearly they have the resources to investigate these things and to apply the appropriate punitive measures. Well, it's like with the emails with John Gruden, right? Like in all of the homophobic, misogynistic, horrible things that were exchanged there. You know that those were not the only emails that the league found in their investigation and that there was just so much more. I feel like in that instance, that was the NFL trying to cover up like – Christ, we know this is going to be so much worse. We need to do as much damage control as possible. Like, seal it. Like, only say that we're going to release these things. And then, oh, yeah, we didn't find anything else. Okay, bye. Like, that doesn't work because you know what? Take a look at Don Van Natta's story and what he wrote about the Cowboys issued Dalrymple. I think I'm saying that right. That's a correct. For- a formal written warning in October 2015. Then they declined to share a copy of that warning or detail or any other information, including the timestamp data of when he went in and out of the of the locker room where the cheerleaders were to quote unquote use the bathroom. Um, that's like they they're not denying that he did any of that, but like they won't show surveillance camera, they won't show security card information that would show like exactly when he left the locker room and that would either corroborate his story or show that he was lying in this whole thing. And it's very clear if you're settling with $2.4 million that that would be the case. All right. Coming up next, the Western Conference landscape has shifted. Courtney and I'll tell you how. Yeah. 